0: We continue our Old Testament study today. So far we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And today we meet a king who fell and injured himself, and he refused to turn to God for help. Now, between last week and this week, you don't know it, but three years passed. Actually, between last year's verses and what we're looking at today. So I'm going to take just a minute and do a summary of the events between Naboth's vineyard and our verses today in 2 Kings chapter 1. I want to begin by looking at a map. So this uh, the 12 tribes of Israel after King Solomon were divided. This gray part down here is Judah. Then you see the green part is the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And then you see up here Israel's neighbor, Syria, and you can see how long the border is between the two of them. Back then, it was fairly common, there were border disputes and military clashes between the two countries but at one point before Naboth's vineyard it escalated into something much bigger Syria attacked Israel and actually got very close to Samaria the capital and God gave Ahab the victory but it doesn't seem to have made any difference in Ahab's relationship with God and it turns out you and I Are much the same God does something nice for us and if you stop and think about it God is good to us every day every gift every day we have is a gift from God the life that we have all that God has given us all of this all these are good things that God has given us the people around us the coincidences that that we enjoy all the other things that God does those are all good things and too often we take it for granted well, after Naboth's vineyard, there were three years of relative peace between Israel and Syria. And again, Ahab is the king of, of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, for the most part, loves God and he follows God, but he has this desire. He's really committed to it. In fact, I would say that Jehoshaphat is obsessed with having an alliance between Judah and Israel. Toward that end, he has his son, Mary, Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, and you find out that Athaliah is just like her mother Jezebel, which is not a good thing at all for Judah. In fact, Jehoshaphat doesn't realize it, but his obsession is going to bring a lot of misery to his entire country for a long time. Now, after the three years of peace, Ahab asked Jehoshaphat if he and his army will assist Ahab in fighting Syria. And his goal is to get control of a town that's on that border between Israel and Syria. And it's a town that is on a trade route. And so you look at this, and I believe that Ahab's goal was not just national pride. He wanted the money. Because you see, a town on a trade route could tax all the caravans. That's income tax. Okay, that's money in in the bank for Ahab. Well, Jehoshaphat agrees, because again, he wants this alliance, and he says to Ahab, my people are your people. Let's do this thing. But he says, Ahab, before we go and march off to battle, let's inquire of God. So Ahab calls his prophets, which are most likely Prophets connected to the golden calf worship of God. Remember in the northern tribes of Israel, the first king of Israel, Jeroboam, was afraid to let his people go down to Jerusalem where the temple was, and so he came up with this alternative, quote-unquote, way of worshiping God using the golden calves. And every king after him followed suit, including Ahab. And so Ahab calls his prophets of God, most likely related to this kind of worship, And they come in and they say, Ahab, you are going to win for sure. God has guaranteed you the victory. Now apparently something about this whole thing doesn't sit well with Jehoshaphat because he leans over, they're sitting next to each other, he leans over to to Ahab and says, No, I really want a prophet of God. That extra statement tells a lot. And Ahab says, Well, I do have one prophet of God, but I don't like him because he doesn't say anything good about me. And, and Jehoshaphat persists, and so he said, okay, somebody go get him. So one of those, we're guessing, one of those prophets that had just spoken goes and gets Micaiah is his name. And on the way to the king, he, he leans over to Micaiah and says, look, we've already told the king God's going to grant success. We really want you to follow, you know, follow the same line here with me. And Micaiah says, look, I can only say what God tells me to say stands before King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat, and Ahab asks him, what does God say about us going into battle? And he says, of course, king, you got this thing. God's going to give you the victory for sure. But I'm guessing his sarcasm was really over the top because Ahab told him, said, no, 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 no. I'm not looking for the party line. I want to know what God says. And I can almost imagine Micaiah's face changing there. He's not smiling. He's not joking he gets really serious and he looks at Ahab and he says, here's what God says. Your army's going to lose and you're going to die. That's what God says. You would think that Ahab would thank Micaiah for the warning and call everything off. But no, he doesn't. No, instead, he throws Micaiah in jail. And even though the true prophet of God has spoken the word of God, Ahab is going to go ahead with his plans. So it, it, you, know, you get the idea that for Ahab, checking with God is just a formality. I've checked the box, I'm, but then you get the truth. Ahab is going to do what Ahab wants to do. And again, you and I are so much like Ahab. We're not quite that upfront about it. Well, often, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, you and I look at that and say, Ahab is being really foolish. That's a nice way of saying we think he's stupid. But that's not the end of it. Jehoshaphat, the king who loves God, the one who wanted to hear from the prophet of God has now heard from the prophet of God, but I think he is still so stuck on this alliance, he agrees to go ahead with Ahab with his plan to fight. I mean, what was Jehoshaphat thinking? Now, when you and I look at their choices, especially, again, from hindsight and everything, we can say, you know what, that's really foolish, what they're doing. But when you and I look at our choices from God's perspective, when we are saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, it's just as foolish. Well, Ahab apparently doesn't totally discount what Micaiah has said. Because Ahab decides that he is going to disguise himself as a common soldier. And he turns to Jehoshaphat. Now again, Jehoshaphat just looks worse and worse the further you get into this thing. And he says, hey, Jehoshaphat, buddy, friend Palamine, you dress up as the king. Well, You see, in that day when two groups went to battle, the king would dress up as the king and would go into the battle as dressed up as the king. He is... Not only a leader, but he's a rallying point to his troops. And Jehoshaphat agrees. Well, we find out that the Syrians, Syrian soldiers had been told, look, we can see that that we're going to have this uh, conflict with Israel. And when we get into battle, I want you guys to find the king and focus on him. You go after him. Don't worry about anybody else. Protect yourself, but go after the king. And that's what they do. And so they go after the guy dressed as the king, which is Jehoshaphat. And they actually get close enough to tell that he, this guy in the king's clothes, is not Ahab. And so they stop chasing him. And then we're told that a soldier draws an arrow and he shoots his bow at random. And that random arrow hits Ahab in a gap in his armor and he is seriously wounded. And so he's taken away in his chariot. And Ahab dies, just as God had prophesied he would die. Well, Ahab's chariot is all bloody. This next part's a little bit gross. But there's another prophecy that God had made at Naboth's vineyard. And Ahab had been told that his blood was going to be licked up by the dogs. And when Ahab's chariot was washed out, his blood from his chariot was washed out, the dogs licked up his blood, just as God had prophesied. And so Ahab dies in his stubbornness. Well, after Ahab dies, his son Ahaziah takes the throne and rules Israel for two years. And we're told that Ahaziah followed after both his father and his mother. He continued the same practice of Worshipping, and you've got to put it in quotes, worshiping God with the golden calves. He continued the practice of worshiping Baal, and we're told that he provoked God to anger. Now, when God's angry with you, you know you're in trouble. And that takes us to our verses today. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to cover the entire chapter, but we're going to read together in just a second the beginning and the end. So remain seated, let's read together from the screen, 2 Kings 1, verses 1 to 4, and then verse 17. Let's read together. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Baalzebub." the God of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the wrecks of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? We don't see it in the English, but there's a little play on words in Baal's name in our verses, probably put there by the Hebrew writers of the Old Testament. You see, the proper name for Baal in the city of Ekron was Baal Zabul. Last letter is an L. And it means Prince Baal. You saw what we have in the writing. It's Baal Zabub. The B, just that one little letter, changes it to Lord of the Flies. You're wondering where that phrase came from? There it is. And it's an insult. Now, we've already seen Ahaziah didn't learn from his parents' sin. Instead, he chose to copy their sin, even though he has seen Baal's failure as a god. Because remember, it wasn't that many years ago, maybe six before this, that God sent Elijah to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And then there was three years of no rain. And then you have the the showdown at Mount Carmel, and Baal didn't show up. He didn't do anything. After Ahaziah is injured, he still wants word from Baal. Now, historians think that apparently in that day there were different versions of Baal. They were kind of considered a local god. And you notice that Ahaziah doesn't uh, ask for any word from the local Baal prophets. No, he wants to hear from the temple of Baal in Ekron which is a Philistine city not too far from Ashdod. If you put the map back up, if we're still working, there we are. So this, all this green part is Israel. Samaria is the capital. Come down to Jerusalem and go over west, and there's Ashdod. Well, Just a little further inland is Ekron. That's where it is. And so Ahaziah sends his messengers, and that's a pretty good way because they're either on horse walking or walking on foot to get there. It's going to take him several days to get there, get the word, and come back. And he wants to hear from Baal of Ekron. Well, Ahaziah is forgetting what we have in 1 Samuel 5 about Ashdod and Ekron. You see, many years earlier, the Philistines, because Ashdod was a, was a Philistine city, had captured the Ark of the Covenant. God had allowed them to capture the Ark of the Covenant from Israel, and the Philistines were so happy because they thought, hey, we've got the, you know, the representation of the Israelite God, and we won. And so they put it in, in Ashdod in their temple to Dagon. And they closed and the, locked the doors. They come back the next morning, and Dagon, which is a statue, had fallen on the floor face down in front of the ark as if it was worshiping. And Dagon's head had broken off and his hands. And no human being had done that. But that wasn't the end of it. God afflicts the people of Ashdod with tumors. Historians think they might have been hemorrhoids. So now all of a sudden, the entire city of Ashdod is very uncomfortable. And they say, you know what, enough of this. So they send the Ark to Ekron. And Ekron is scared, the people there are scared to death. They don't want this thing, not even for two minutes. And so they send the, the ark back to Israel. Now, at that time, yes, Dagon was their local god. They either added or replaced him with Baal. But they're both gods, that is with a little g, they're false gods. They're ideas that somebody came up with because they didn't want to have to worship The true God. Baal couldn't do any better than Dagon did. Not against Yahweh because Yahweh is the true God, the real God, and he's the same. So back to our verses today. Ahaziah sends his messengers and God has Elijah intercept the king's messengers and sends them back, as we read, to Ahaziah with God's message. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. So in plain English, God is saying, are you going to act like I do not exist? Are you going to ignore me? Then you will die. Now, the messengers came back a whole lot faster than they should have. And so Ahaz and and this message, Elijah never gave his name, but the messengers describe him and Ahaziah realizes that it was Elijah. And so Ahaziah responds to Elijah's message by sending in the army. He sends a captain and 50 men to bring back one man. Does it seem like a little overkill? Okay? I mean, think about it. If, if Ahaziah just wanted to send a messenger, he could have sent one person. Why did he send 50? I'm thinking he wanted to intimidate or to coerce. Well, the next part of the account, one is going to seem strange. And for some people, they're going to think that Elijah's response and what God did was arbitrary and totally inappropriate. But here's what happens in verse 9. The king sent to him, to Elijah, a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Now, that's how we read it. But think about what's going on here. This captain says, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, so one, strange, and two, we're a little unsettled. What is going on here? The captain is the king's messenger, which means when the captain gives the king's message, the captain speaks with the authority of the king. And notice, the captain did not ask Elijah to come down, he commanded, he demanded, hey you, come here, and let's go. Well, the prophet of God is God's spokesman, and God is the greater king. A prophet of God does not submit to the demands of a king. And I believe that you see in both Ahaziah and in the captain's demands, I think you see pride. And God makes it very clear in the Bible that he hates pride. He hates it in anyone. And God sends fire from heaven, which is yet another miracle. We just saw before this, the other time fire fell from heaven, it was at Mount Carmel. It prompts the question, why did Ahaziah demand that Elijah come to him personally? Did Ahaziah think he could change God's mind? Inquiring minds want to know. And God doesn't tell us. doesn't tell us all that Ahaziah is thinking. But you see in Ahaziah altogether, you see his pride, you see his arrogance. And it's not just him. Every one of us are arrogant when we think we are smarter than God. Now, We wouldn't be as blatant as Ahaziah is doing, but it turns out you and I actually think that we are smarter than God a lot, a lot more than we believe we do. And here's one of the ways that you can know if you are thinking that God is mistaken. When you think God failed, God, I got a simple situation here. It makes total sense for you to do what I'm thinking you ought to do, and you didn't do it. What's your problem? Now, if you're a good Christian, you're not going to say what's your problem. But you're sure going to think it. We do. And we get angry with God. But that's not just the only way. You and I are arrogant every time we defy God or ignore God. And that happens every time we go chasing after our desires and forget about God. Well, Ahaziah sends a second captain and 50 men and this captain also demands that Elijah come with him and you get a repeat and so Ahaziah sends a third captain and 50 men not about you but I'm looking at Ahaziah and he doesn't seem to care too much about his people he's just lost 102 after trying to get this one thing and he's still sending more so you see the arrogance of the first two messengers And then you see the humility of the third. He comes to that same hill and he sees Elijah on the hill and his first words aren't, come down. He begs for his life and for the life of the 50 men. He's basically saying, Elijah, please, please don't shoot the messenger. And God tells Elijah, go with him. Go ahead and talk to Ahaziah. Now, Again, remember what Ahaziah has done. He has defied God by continuing the worship of the golden calves. And God multiple times told other kings before him, and maybe even him through somebody, don't do this. This is not how I told you to worship me. Ahaziah has continued to worship Baal. Ahaziah has very clearly ignored God. God. Well, defying God and ignoring Him doesn't stop God from working His plan for us and in the world. And I've repeated this several times. I'm saying it different ways. When you and I think about the character of God, that He's good and perfect, but He's also holy and that He's powerful, any time we rebel against God and ignore God, it's foolishness. But in the heat of the moment, when we have this desire that I've got to have, we don't think of it that way. Too often, you and I will do like Ahaziah did. We will look anywhere for help but but to God. So Elijah comes with that third captain, stands before Ahaziah, speaks to him, and he gives him the exact same message as he gave the first time You've ignored God, and you're going to die. And as we read in our verses, verse 17, that's what happens. Ahaziah dies in his stubbornness. And his brother Jehoram becomes king of Israel. And left to ourselves, you and I are just as stubborn. So, what do you and I do when trouble comes? whether it's like Ahaziah and you're having trouble with your health or it's finances or relationships or your job, for now the one trouble that pretty much everybody has, COVID, and all the mess that comes with it. Do we ignore God? Do we get angry with God? Do we get angry with other people? We can maybe deny the getting angry with God, but the one that we see of ourselves is, oh yes, we get angry with people, we despise them, we belittle them. If they don't agree with us, if they're saying something else that we don't like, do we respond to trouble with irritation and impatience and discontent? Do we try to gain control of our situation again? Do we look for comfort in all the wrong places? Or do we turn to God? And do we admit, you know what, God, I really don't have control over my health or my finances or certainly not over COVID? Yeah, I don't have control over my life, but you do. Do you and I look to God for wisdom and strength and understanding because He's right ready to provide it? Do you and I choose? And this is a choice. Do you, do you and I choose to trust God? Do you and I choose to rest in his goodness and wisdom and power even when the circumstances are not what we would like them to be? You see, all of us at times think that any trouble we experience means God has failed. We're thinking at that moment, we're not say, we wouldn't say the words, but we're thinking, I'm smarter than God. If we say he's failed... We know better. Actually, the, tr- the trouble that you and I experience isn't a failure of God's plan. It is part of God's plan. I remember years ago, Ron Bossom telling me about Joseph. Now here, not, just to get the context, the conversation. I'm talking to Ron, and I'm asking him the question I'm asking myself, is God calling me into full-time Christian ministry? And so he decides he's going to tell me about Joseph and remind me of the years of preparation that Joseph had. And what was his preparation? As a slave. And the years that Moses had, 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. And the years that Paul had, those missing years, 14, 17 years, where he's unlearning and relearning. And you know what my first response was? No, thank you. That trouble, that difficulty, that was part of God's plan. The trouble that you and I experience, the little daily irritations, the big stuff that we feel like is going to knock us off our feet, that is all part of God's plan. And you can call it God's uncomfortable grace. Because God's goal isn't our comfort. If it was, then yes, he has actually failed. But it isn't. God's goal is to transform us to transform us from being self-centered users of others to being self-giving lovers of others and self-giving lovers of God. You see, every day, I need to be rescued from me. And you need to be rescued from you. Because that's our biggest danger. It isn't the troubles. It isn't the government. It isn't people with these other ideas. It isn't all these other things, those are troubles and those are problems, yes. But the biggest one we have is the one we carry around with us everywhere we go. It's us. So as you go through each day, recognize we have a choice. We can ignore God or we can say, God, would you help me because I want to thank you for your kindness today. I want to see your goodness today. I want to, to know that you love me. I want to remember that you've rescued me and that what you're doing is you're working to transform me. Let's pray. Lord, would you make that our prayer, that we don't want to ignore you. We do want to live every day with you. We want to trust you and lean on you and depend upon you. We want to see your goodness. We want to thank you for it. Lord, you are working in our lives. Even if we don't see it. We sang that song. Even if I don't see it, you're working. Yes, you are. And we thank you and praise you that that is who you are. The God who loves and gives and cares. And you love and give and care first and you don't stop. So Lord, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to want not only to please you, but to be more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song.